If you can get people into their feelings, then they're out of their mind. And people buy on emotion and they justify with logic, right? So people make emotional decisions to purchase and then they justify and tell their wife or their friends or their husband um, why they bought it right. using logic. But in an emotional state, people will make very big decisions. So you have a passion for fitness and the desire to start your own business. But launching a massively successful fitness business is extremely complex. The systems, operations, hiring, firing, coaching, sales, and marketing are critical to success. Where do you even start? This show will give you the answers. Here is Bedros Koulian and Bryce Henson, your hosts of the Fitness Franchise Podcast a show dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs launch and grow successful gyms. Welcome back, friends, to another incredible episode of the Fitness Franchise Podcast. And before I tee up today's guest, I want to give you a reminder to give us a like and subscribe on YouTube and write us an awesome review on iTunes. That way we can keep producing this content for you for free. So now today's guest who's a dear friend of mine who was born and raised in both California and the United Kingdom to which his own accord makes him sound Australian. Now he's a stand-up comedian and he's also known as one of the top best copywriters in the entire planet. In fact, since starting his craft in 2014, he sold over $100 million in products and services online via email. Mr. Ian Stanley, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, man. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, uh, this is an interesting podcast because normally we're at our headquarters in Chino Hills, but we're here in Austin, Texas, uh, which you're about to give a keynote for a mastermind. Yes. And I used to live here, so it's you fun did. to be back. Yeah, yeah I was here for four years. Four years, yeah. yeah. And where do you live now? In Boise, Idaho. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, lots to cover today. I'm super excited about this. Um, you know, copywriting is really the theme of this, which is your zone of genius. But um, before we get to that, can you give us the backstory? Our audience would love just to color in the details of who you are and uh, yeah, the backstory. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's lots there's there's long stories and short stories about it. I'd say for the context of what we're going to talk about, um, when I was let's see, 19 years old, I was living it. Uh, in a mobile home park in Aptos, California. I was transferring to Santa Cruz. I played tennis in college, and so I was transferring, and I was living in this weird little mobile home and uh, trying to figure out how to make money online. And so I was clicking on ads and buying all sorts of horrible products. I signed up for Herbalife at one point, which is a complete scam. If you're with Herbalife, I'm sorry, but it's a bunch of soy-based garbage, and it's basically an MLM, but they sort of sold it in a tricky way. So like, you don't have to talk to your friends and family. Don't worry, like that's, you don't have to talk to your friends and family. And the first step was talk, talk to your friends, friends and family. family. And I was like, wow, I'm an idiot. I can't believe I bought this. So I learned about affiliate marketing and ClickBank and stuff when I was 19. And I remember thinking they had this thing, it was like a commission is 50%. And I thought that half of the people clicked on an ad would buy the product. So I was like, I'm gonna be so rich. I'm gonna buy these Google ads and I'm gonna be a millionaire by the time I leave college. Um, wasn't the case. And so basically over the next couple of years, I ended up writing an ebook on how to pick up women. That was my first, uh, not like physically pick them up, but like, you know, <laughs> yeah. how, to meet, how to meet women and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Cause you know, every 20 year old knows everything there is to know about that. And uh, so I was selling some dating products, uh, made probably a thousand or two thousand dollars during college. But I remember I made a sale during a final and I came out of class and I had $113.84 had been made. And I was like, oh my God, these guys are all losers. They're gonna go get real jobs and I'm gonna be so rich. Uh, <laughs> didn't happen as fast as I thought it was gonna happen. But basically from there I left college and I was teaching tennis 
and I was trying to sell stuff online. But what I was doing is I was doing customer service, you know, I was trying to create a product, you know, you do the customer service, you build the website, you run the traffic, you write the copy, you do all these different things, mm -hmm. and everybody in like the, you know, when it was forums back then was poor, and they were all trying to do everything, and they were all broke, and I was like, this doesn't seem to make sense. So I committed to learning one skill, and that was copywriting, and so that's when I was. Why, why copywriting? I liked it, I enjoyed, writing. I like persuading people. Okay. I feel like I've been persuading people since I was like three. Okay. My mom always tells a story. She was, I was like three years old and she was like, go clean your room and I'll give you candy. And I was like, no, no, you give me candy and then I'll clean my room. And she was like, shit, this is going to be a pain in the ass. I'll kid. kill battle. And so I've been arguing since I was young. And uh, I feel like writing was a way to also slow down my brain a little and kind of express my thoughts in a way that made sense. And so I actually hated writing in college. That was the only class I stopped taking because it was all subjective. I took this class, because as an athlete, you get to, to pick your classes first. Mm -hmm. So you get first dibs, and I was like, I'm taking this class. It was about super, about like the hero's journey, and mm -hmm. I wanted to write a paper about Batman. That's all I wanted to do about why he's the ultimate altruist. I wrote this paper, and I got a B, and that was my only B that year, and I was so pissed because it was this subjective, this teacher was like, you didn't use enough sources and you didn't write it in the way that we want. And I'm like, I don't need 10 pages of your bullshit bibliography <laughs> to write a compelling argument, just let me write. Like, so I, what I think a lot of people find out about writing is they don't actually hate writing, they hate writing under the constraints that they've learned in a school setting. Mm -hmm. Where it's like your essay has to have this much going on and, and it also ruins people's ability to write because you're supposed to write a certain amount of pages. Right. And so you learn how to do the extra spacing. Right. And you do double tap after every period and, you know, to make it more pages. And what they're literally teaching you how to do is pad a piece of paper with unnecessary words, which makes you a bad writer. Great writing is subtracting out all the words that don't need to be said and just putting in only the good stuff or editing out the, you know, the, the fluff. And in school, we learn to just add fluff and BS so that we get to our 10 page you know, minimum for our paper. Right. And so I thought I didn't like writing. Um, and then it turned out, I just, I realized that that was the skill that I sort of enjoyed. I wasn't really a media buyer type of person. It's typically like engineers do really well with like buying traffic mm -hmm. and stuff. And mm -hmm. um, I just really liked, I would just write stories. Like the first copy, piece of copy I ever wrote, I didn't even know it was called copy at that time. It was just this story about um, getting mugged actually, and about violence training and how that related to meeting women. And so it was like that story worked. And so I just, I was like, I can learn, I think the most valuable skills for an online business, are, you know, copy and selling, if you want to call them the same thing, and media buying, and then an operations person. If you have those three things, you can do really well. But what about, it's interesting, Ian, because for me, I like persuasion as well, but out of uh, the four high-impact skills, um, copywriting being one of them, I feel like I have the, the most to learn. I learned sales through belly-to-belly -belly sales, talking with someone, yeah. presenting, et cetera. So kind of diving back in, why did that, that not speak to you? Granted, I say that tongue-in-cheek because you're about to present to a half-day workshop with our yeah. Fit Body Bootcamp owner tomorrow um, but why you know the presentation the sales aspect why did you go copy compared to those uh, I just uh, lazy <laughs> I mean honestly like I so when I was coaching tennis you know I was 22 years old making 70 to 100 bucks an hour and that's a lot of money at that mm -hmm. age especially a lot of its cash and so um, but what I realized was if I wasn't on the tennis court I wasn't getting paid 
and I hated that I had to trade my time for money. If I wasn't on a court, I couldn't make money. So if I wasn't present, yep. there was no money coming in. And to me, I wanted to be able to wake up in the morning and have had money come in while I was sleeping. I wanted to be able to go do fun stuff and play sports and go outside and still be making money. So it just came down to that. I saw the golden handcuffs of, you know, I could have made six figures. The 35-year-old, 45-year-old tennis coaches were making the same money as me, but they were working more and they were tired. And if it rained, you couldn't make money. Mm -hmm. If it was really hot out and people didn't want to come that day, you didn't make money. So I love selling, like selling high ticket stuff and selling face to face or on the phone mm -hmm. to me is like cheating compared to copy because of copy, I'm trying to get a million people to be able to read this and get one or 2% of them to buy this thing. So I've got to appeal to this broad audience. You know, I had a water filter company um, that I ended up selling to what was the fastest growing startup in Canada at the time. And I, you know, when you're selling water filters, it's like people are like, oh, what's your avatar? I'm like, people who drink water. So it's everyone. So you have to be pretty persuasive in that situation. But like when I do any phone sales or anything, like when we launched a new product with my company, like I literally closed every single person. <laughs> and that's, there's some cheating there too, because these are my people who are fans of me on my list on and stuff. List. Yeah, yeah. But literally, not one one person said no for now and then the next day signed up but are you talking about in a sales environment like belly to belly on the phone on Zoom? the phone okay. yeah so they they've applied mm -hmm. and then they i'm talking to them but it's like the way that john carlton put it which makes a lot of sense to me is copy is just salesmanship in print mm -hmm. so my thing any if you think about a car salesman if they're not on the lot they're not making money but mm -hmm. if you can write a great ad you can make money even when you're not working. So for me, it all came down to that, was I wanted to make money from the laptop. I knew in college I was either gonna work for the government or for myself, I thought I was gonna go into the military, and I knew I'm not employable. <laughs> I don't like being told what to do, which is ironic, because I thought I was gonna go into the military which and is, definitely be told what to do. Yeah. Um, but it was, it just appealed to me as, I just knew that everybody who was trying to do all these different things, they were almost all failing. And so I decided to take copy seriously and I would handwrite sales letters for an hour a day. So I would sit down and I would literally hand copy out sales letters for an like hour every morning. Pre-existing sales letters. Pre-existing sales From letters. Who? So uh, there's a program called Copy Hour. It's my buddy Derek Johansson. He's become one of my closest friends, one of the best people in the whole world. Okay. Um, and uh, I bought the program and my indicator of success then was just did I did I hand copy for an hour that day? You bought his program. I bought his program. That's how you got introduced That's to how it. I got into doing it that way. I'd heard that there's like, people say if you hand copy, so literally by hand, yeah, you yeah. get a notepad and you're writing by hand, just copying what's written there and it trains your subconscious mind to understand sales and persuasion and you know, copywriting. And so I would do that for an hour every single day. The program that you bought though, like do they have templated letters? So they have a bunch of old school copy, which is better to look at in a lot of ways because you want to be able to write copy that can convert to a cold audience who's never heard of you. Mm -hmm. So if you go and look at some influencer or some well-known person in our space who's got you know, something that's converting and you look at that, well, it may only be converting because of the person, because they have a celebrity factor mm -hmm. or something like that. So looking at the old school ads, you, I mean ads from the 60s, 70s, 80s, a lot of them have claims that you definitely can't make anymore. But that was really how I learned was hand copying those. So he has them all like laid out. And then I created my email copywriting program. It's called 8020 Email Copy. And I give people examples of emails to hand copy. It's the same thing. It just, there's nothing that gets you there faster than hand copying stuff. 
and I'm sure it depends on the person, right? But how long did you have to do this? I'm curious. I like, did it every day for 90 days. Um, so in the grand scheme, you of things, can do it in long. four weeks. No, I mean I, I can make somebody a very good email copywriter in two to four weeks. Really? They can, yeah. If they if they do the hand copying, it's very fast. Okay. Because it's training your subconscious and your unconscious mind. Because when you're writing, you don't want to write from a conscious place where you're thinking about every word. You want to be just Flowing. unfiltered yeah. writing without stopping. Like the best rule I can ever give somebody for writing is stop stopping. So when you're typing and you're like, oh, thinking, that's stop thinking. Just keep typing. Doesn't matter if it's total garbage or whatever it is, just keep typing and build that habit of always tapping the keys, always tapping the keys. Mm -hmm. um, so that really was the turning point for me was I learned that skill, then I got a job working with the credit solution program. Uh, I was the copywriter writing all the email copy for everything in the VSLs. At this point though, you've obviously developed the skill. No, I mean, I was just a 22-year-old kid who wanted to make money online and okay. I applied for a job uh, that would have been actually here in Texas and I was like the second to last person and they didn't pick me, but the recruiter had this other thing. And actually the listing was like, you have to know HTML and domain, all this crazy, like it had like 25 things you had to be good at yeah. and one of them was copywriting. And it was like a $25 an hour job too. And so I said, I'll do the copywriting thing and he paid me 20 bucks an hour. Is how I started. We had a 1.2 million person email list, and so I would write all the copy, and we would split test four to eight different variations on every email. Would you write those variations? I wrote all of them, yeah. Okay. And I wrote all the different subject lines, and I had this spreadsheet that basically would dissect what worked and what didn't. And so that's how I created all the principles and stuff that I then went on to teach. Was if you have enough people on a list, you have enough statistical significance to actually get real data. Mm -hmm. And so we were just testing like crazy. And that's the problem. A lot of copywriters don't get feedback on what they write. Yeah. So they don't know what works and what doesn't. Because But you're testing anything from the copy, but also like the headlines. I mean, what, what are you, what are the, the I would mainly test subject lines, uh, body copy, not as much because the copy is what it is. I would test link text. So like, mm -hmm. so if you have a subject line that says, um, you know, how to get toned abs. Let's just say something very, you know, generic like that, yeah. right? Weird trick to get toned abs, right? If your link text where they click to the next page is how to get, you know, weird trick to get toned abs, mm -hmm. exactly the same as the subject line, you're gonna potentially double your click-through rate because just that little thing. There's congruency. Because there. it's congruent with the yeah, subject yeah. line. So testing that, you know, 10 times, you see that every single time I did that, it would improve click-through rate. So we'd test stuff like that. I'd test whether or not we needed a PS in the email. How many links should there be in an email? There's a lot of people who say you should have three links in an email. Yeah. I think you should have one in most emails because it's, email is all about one, con, one idea. Yep just one thing to focus on. So if you're trying to do three things, send them links to three different things, four different things, they're getting distracted. And you wanna just keep them focused on one core idea, have a link, a call to action, whether that's to a blog post, a YouTube video, a sales page, one link outperformed three links every time. Um, so we just tested a bunch of stuff. And so that's where I got good at email copy, created my own course, and then I was at Crisis Education where we sold a bunch of survival products and we had a water filter company that... About how, how long were you at the program? I was at the 18 months okay. at the Credit Solution Program. And before you, you get in that, we're just gonna take a step back for our audience because you know our audience is interested in fitness, business, entrepreneurship. And while you know our 
fitness program, Fit Body Bootcamp is a brick and mortar. I think just, I wanna just reiterate the value of copywriting, because to your point, you wanna make money while you sleep. And really that's yeah. the dream for any business owner to move away from uh, trading dollars for time and right. actually create a business system where you can actually earn income while you sleep. And copywriting right. is an incredible tool. And I think I interjected before, you talked about you know good operations team, a good copywriter. What, good the, traffic. Good uh, traffic buyer. Yeah, media buyer, traffic. So those are just, core fundamental aspects in, in our business, the fitness business, the operations would be the coaching, the fitness, et cetera. Right. Um, but copywriting and buying traffic is, is incredibly important. So I just want to kind of take a, a quick second to really highlight that before you dig, yeah. dig even further. Yeah, no worries. I mean, and for, to focus on, and we can go into fitness specific stuff, but the, the next company is out, we sold a bunch of water filters and then supplements as well. Um, so a lot of health stuff and ended up selling over $100 million worth of stuff over those you know, few years of working with that company. And then when I started writing for other companies, when I left, I was there for about 18 months as well. Now, were you working in a physical brick and mortar or uh, office, or are you working from uh, home? I was at an office. Because okay. um, the reason I ask is Austin. because I, when I think copywriters, the dream is they're not working in a brick and mortar. They're working from home. Well, yeah, and, you're writing in your underwear. I mean, yeah. literally, it was yeah. funny because I, you know, I had read ads that were like, you know, write from your, you know, in your underwear from your kitchen and become a millionaire, right? And I was, I wasn't a millionaire, but I was making like five grand a month at the credit solution program at the end, and I was working like 10 hours a month. I was traveling, I was in Scotland and England going around, and um, which is probably worth saying I'm half English, half American. I, was, I wanted to bring yeah, that up at some people, point. Well, what happens is if I don't say where I'm from, people sit there the whole time going, I can't listen to him because I need to know where he's from first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So half English, half American, which means everyone thinks I'm Australian. <laughs> and as people listening now going, oh my God, that's what I thought. I thought he was an Australian guy. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. And Dude, full-time yeah, copywriter, part-time comedian, just want to put that yeah. out there, man. Yeah, I do, I do stand up comedy as well. Uh, at some point, it'll be part-time business owner and full-time comedian, Love so Love making it. the transition. Love it. Um, but uh, yeah, so we sold a bunch of stuff there. That's when I started getting on camera and doing stuff and selling, being on camera. Um, and would sort of speak copy at that point, too. I'd written enough copy where I can kind of go on and just speak what I need to do without having to write everything. You speak copy. This is crazy concept. And uh, my co-host, Bedros Koulian B, yeah. um, he's a brilliant copywriter, entrepreneur, et cetera. At one point after some summit, I pulled him aside. And I'm like, dude, B, you speak in freaking sales copy. Yeah. So this is the, actually the second time I've heard that. So t <laughs> talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the why hand copying, I think, is so valuable because you're training your conscious and unconscious mind to uh, or your, your subconscious and your unconscious to be able to understand persuasive arguments and sales uh, without thinking, right? So I had just, I'd written enough copy because we were doing a new funnel every two to four weeks. So I was writing a new VSL, a new video sales letter every couple weeks. Um, and you know, a lot of copywriters, it takes them like six to six weeks to three months to write a sales letter. And I was doing them in, the longest I've ever taken was two weeks and then normally it's like a couple of days and I just write. Crank it out. And a lot of that's because people overthink a lot of stuff. But I would, once I started getting on camera, it was just like, I've written so much of this that I can just kind of say it. And I know the structure of things. I know what order things are supposed to go in. I know sort of the biggest, one of the biggest copy mistakes that so many people make is their sequence. They have the right words, but, or the right, you know, ideas, but in the wrong order. Mm -hmm. So. What the biggest thing I do, like if I do, when I do consulting for like a sales page, 
most of the time the best part of their sales letter is like three quarters of the way into it and I'm like oh this should be the beginning so they're presenting their argument in the wrong order, mm -hmm. right? And they're not setting things up. And these days, the people lose interest right away. And so. I was uh, sorry to interject. My point or my thought was you put it at the beginning because you need to grab yeah. their attention. Your absolute best stuff goes at the start of any sales letter, any email, like whatever it is. Um, you've got to lead with something super compelling. Even if it's not the best part, it's got to create the most curiosity because people want to leave. People are sitting there waiting to leave the page if they're clicking on a sales letter or a VSL or they're trying to decide if they're going to join a gym or whatever it is, they're, they're trying to get out of that unless you compel them and pull them in. Through curiosity. Through curiosity. That's the biggest thing at the start. Storytelling, opening with stories tends to be the most effective way to do it. Okay. Uh, like the most probably famous sales letter I wrote, the first line is, John didn't know he was going to die that night. He went to sleep like every other American and he never woke up. <laughs> Which I don't mean to laugh about, I'm sorry, John. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> was that the headline or was that? That the... was the first line of the VSL. Oh, okay. So that was literally how it opened uh, in the sales letter. And so, um, and it's just that curiosity of what's going to happen, how did John die? Like if you can write a great first sentence, the first line is the most important. So if you can write an incredible first sentence, you can get people to read the rest of the thing. Like the first line of my book is, I thought I was going to kill people for a living, <laughs> which is true. Um, but that's, you know, it's curious enough to be like, I just picked up this book about persuasion and here's this guy saying he thought he's going to kill people for a living. Yeah. I'm at least going to read the second sentence. The point of the first sentence, get them to read the second sentence. Point of the second sentence, get them to read the third sentence and so on. You're not trying to sell the product or the thing at the beginning. You're trying to get people in a frame of mind where they're ready to buy. Okay. So continue on about the sequence. The very beginning, like it needs to be the most curious. Very beginning is the most important part. Like if you're going to test, even like we run, you know, we spend a few grand a day on YouTube ads and the ads will fatigue. But if you just put a new lead, a new, like a lead would be the first, let's say five seconds to two minutes. And, and you're so talking about VSL now. On a, on, well, on a YouTube ad. Okay. So, and people can skip after five seconds, yeah, right? Yeah. So you have five seconds to get their attention. Yep. Um, just by testing new leads, like literally just the first 30 seconds, I'll record a new one on my iPhone and it'll work because it's new. People also, like the, the companies that are most successful right now are just testing more ad creative than anybody else. Just because of ad fatigue? Just ad fatigue okay. and like it's just swings, right? If you take 50 swings, you're likely, it's the 80-20 principle, right? Yeah, yeah. You're going to get one or two that work. If you take five swings, you might get one you know, and it's, and it's ad fatigue as well. And also you, you lengthen your ability to run ads when you've got 10 ads running, they're going to fatigue much slower than one. Like we've had one primary ad running for the past like five months and it's starting to fatigue at this point where it's After like five months, five, six months. Yeah. Well, it's not fatigue, not like big time fatigue. There are a lot of, a lot a of markets. Time, it's long. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. longer. It's, you know, it's a big market and it's, it's a different angle because most of the people in the, you know, how to make money online industry are just douchebags with Lambos and mansions. So I just recorded one actually the other day, which will test that I'm, I'm like, look, I want to show you my new Lambo. I'm not saying you're going to get one, but you know, check it. And I, and I walk over to my truck and I've got a toy Lamborghini in my truck that's this big. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, check this out. And then I'm just like, you know, if you want to learn from some douchebag marketer with a, his mansions and Lamborghinis, then go somewhere else. But if you want to learn a real way to make money online, stay here. 
so it's and like we're just out we're just inching people. closer to that full-time com uh, comedic. I know. I know. I'll keep my businesses. Comics. I'll keep. I'll keep running them. But <laughs> it doesn't. You know, it doesn't take too long. But definitely going to be full-time in comedy within the next. Yeah, dude, I love it. But anyways, I was interjecting. But you're saying just taking them closer and closer to, I guess, whatever the call to action is. Yeah. Well, just opening up with your most interesting stuff. You know, like people. People just bury the interesting stories like they'll have some story about how they ended up in the hospital mm -hmm. and it's like three quarters of the way down this sales page or it's let's say they're selling on the phone and they don't tell that story or whatever it is like I would open with you know I didn't think I'd end up in the hospital that night right that's literally and then I what I do is I turn everything into formulas so if something worked once I test it a couple more times and then it becomes proven because I don't want to have to be creative all the time I'd rather just rely on stuff that I know works. So there's, there's like the variations. framework of the same type Yeah, of, the same framework. Okay. So John didn't know he was going to die that night. Somebody, I was at a copy, uh, I was at a conference if, like a week, a month ago, and there was a guy whose opening line was like, you know, James didn't know he was going to lose his leg that night, whatever it was. It was like, literally, the, the it was my was exact yeah. line just changed to fit that. And it's like, well, that's what people are going to do. So if you have something like that, like for my gut supplement, and I haven't used this as my lead, yet but i'll try it is you know i didn't know i was going to end up in the house in the hospital that night which is what actually happened to me right? it should be a true story first off you know after 17 hours of constant pain i finally had to go to the hospital and end up in the er not knowing that i was going to be diagnosed with crohn's disease right so that could be my first two sentences and that's probably going to be more compelling than most just because it's a you know unexpected and emotional emotional stories will drive more sales than just about anything else. I mean, I can kind of figure that out, but can you elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, so I mean, like, I have a story I tell about my dog. We were talking about this a little before, but I have this, you know, feed the wolf tattoo, and I have the story I tell about my dog and how he almost died. And there are times when I tell it on stage and I get teary-eyed, and I... Actually, I told it at uh, Empire Mastermind. You did? I opened up with it, and Bedros was... He was there at the time, and all, all he said was after I finished, he's like, that's a really good story. And I was like, thanks. Um, but it's, uh, it's a very emotional story. And if you can get people into their feelings, then they're out of their mind. And people buy on emotion and they justify with logic, right? So people make emotional decisions to purchase and then they justify and tell their wife or their friends or their husband um, why they bought it right. using logic. But in an emotional state, people will make very big decisions. And so if you can get somebody into, like, when I got really into advertising and copywriting and everything, you can't watch a commercial from the perspective of a normal person because you're so wrapped up in how it's working, what are they doing. So I used to just watch ads and you're trying to learn from them. And I realized that the ones that were the best ads were the ones where I stopped watching as a critic and just became a consumer of the ad because something emotional happened and I was suddenly just in it. Or laughter, you know, laughter can be create emotion as well. Um, but if you can get people just feeling instead of thinking, mm -hmm. you're never, nobody in the world sells results. You sell feelings. And that result creates a feeling. So people say, oh, we sell results in advance and all this. Well, the reality is you don't sell results in advance. You sell the feeling mm -hmm. of that result. So you say to somebody, you have a six pack, right? Let's take, you know, selling a fitness membership to somebody, right? Like yeah. it's not, oh, you, you know, your result is we're going to get you ripped. It's imagine what it's going to feel like to take your shirt off and your wife sees you and she can't get her hands off of you. Where she looks at you like she did when you first met each other. Where your son looks up to you and instead of saying, hey dad, 
why do you have boobs? That's like a sales letter that people have written. But it's true, like, hey, Dad, why do you have boobs? Instead, they go, wow, Dad, how did you get so muscular? It's tapping into that feeling. If you can take somebody into their family dynamic, and I don't mean this in a manipulative way, but like, if you can take somebody into their family dynamic or their friends, or that you don't sell, a, people don't buy Lamborghinis. Let's, okay. 1% of people who buy Lamborghinis buy them because they love to go fast and they love the look and the feel of the mm -hmm. Lamborghini. 99% of people who buy Lamborghinis buy them because of what other people are going to think of them. Yeah, the feeling it's, they have. Yeah, it's because, the feeling. Yeah, it's yeah. imagine how it's going to feel to drive down South Beach Boulevard in Miami and have everybody looking at you in this thing. Aren't you the type of guy who wants everybody you know, to think you're the biggest badass. If you drive in Miami, all it is is just Lamborghinis. It's either Lamborghini SUVs or Lambos, and they think that by revving their engine very loud, everybody thinks they're cool. Nobody's excited about it. Nobody likes your loud engine. That's a little PSA to everybody out there. Please stop revving your engine. <laughs> we get it. You have insecurities that you're making up for. Um, but these people are trying to, you know, imagine driving, you know, if you're selling a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, it's imagine that feeling of driving that up to your parents' house and being able to tell your parents you made it. It's that type of stuff. It's, it's like I had a guy who signed up for 90 Days to Freedom, which is our main program, and he had told me on the phone, he's like, I'm so tired of telling my parents that I'm going to make it and still being a failure. And I was, it's sad to hear that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so for me, it was like, Man, imagine what it would feel like. And I say these exact words. I say, imagine what it would feel like to be able to go to your parents' house and be able to say, look, guys, I'm actually doing it. I am making money online. I'm making something of myself. And at that point, there's a complete turn from, and this guy was super skeptical and different stuff. And I wasn't even trying to sell him. I was just like, if it's a fit, it's a fit. But I, at that point, I was like, oh, man, this is what this guy wants. It's about finding, and that's why selling face-to-face -face and selling on the phone, I feel like is cheating because you can find everybody's objections and their pain points. It's a lot easier that and way. Find it, yeah. And I learned to sell that way, and I think that's why yeah. it's been so hard for me yeah, to like really get a sense. copy yeah. for that reason. It's, well, and that's the thing is you're not going to convert at the same percentage with written word, right, or video, but you can take, you know, one of the ways to do it is you take your, record your, yourself talking or selling over the phone or in person once, have it all transcribed, and then create a sales page based around what you're saying to those people. Record five different ones, and you'll find the common themes, the objections, the stories, and then that becomes your sort of sales letter that can sit there for an extended period of time and make money while you sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, even so, we have an application process for us, and one of the questions is, how would your life change with an extra five to ten thousand dollars a month? And some people go, oh, I would, you know, I'd be able to live in this house or whatever. But it's the people who go, I'd be able to fly my parents or my, my wife's family over from the Philippines. I'd be able to finally spend time with my kids and stop being an absentee father. I'd be able to buy the house where my kids can actually play in the backyard instead of living in this little apartment. So the first thing I do when I talk to them is, man, I would love for you to be able to get that house where you and your kids can actually spend time together. Because the second that happens, the second you say that, all of their logic is gone. Because what happens is it's creating a, a very visual picture. Because in that person's mind, they know what that house looks like in their mind. Mm -hmm. They know what it feels like to play with their kid. That turns off all of their logical mind and their skepticism and criticism and puts them into their feelings. And that's when they buy. Because you're not selling the result. You're not selling the house or the money. 
you're selling the, the feeling that comes from having those things. We sell freedom is really what I sell. But it's interesting, and going back to the fitness analogy, and I've been selling fitness for a very long time, but when you said that we're not selling a result, I stopped for a second, I was like, well shoot, Like I feel that most successful gyms are selling a result, but then you, you storytell a little bit and then you use the copy, as I mentioned, you talk in sales copy, yeah. imagine how it would feel, and then all of a sudden I just got sucked in. So I'm hoping you felt that because just even me sitting right there, my mind went to a completely right. different space. Well, and that's like, so the result is maybe the promise, but it's called dimensionalized benefits, right? So you take this benefit of you know having an extra $10,000 a month but to dimensionalize that, and think of that as a 2D image, right? That's a two-dimensional image. It's this flat image on a screen, and it's, oh, I'll have $10,000 a month. That's why if your money goals are just to have more money, like there was a point where, you know, if you have a certain amount in your bank account and your life's really good and you don't have to worry about money, suddenly you don't really have to make more money, so mm -hmm. you stop making more money because mm -hmm. you, you don't need. really need to. Yeah. And the idea of the money in your head is just, a bigger number in your account. Your brain can't understand that that number means more. What it can understand is buying land that, you know, I'm saying for my own, like for me personally, I bought a, you know, this ranch or, you know, house on a mountain. And when I'm out, when I'm there, it's like I'm sitting there visualizing what's going, what I'm going to build in this part of the property. What I want to buy the the 13 acres next door. I want to see my my brain. I have feelings about those things because I want to build yeah. those things and bring people out to it and do some crazy shit out there. And so that motivates me to make more money because that gives me a feeling. I'm imagining my future reality of these people being out at my ranch and us doing, you know, the stuff that I want to do. Like, but your brain can't really attach to just numbers. Right, so if you say, man, I'm gonna get you to 7% body fat, it's like, okay. But it's like, no, you're gonna be the most shredded guy on the beach. You're gonna be, you know, imagine what it's gonna feel like to walk down the beach and every girl, even if they're there with their boyfriend, looks at you yep. because they can't help it. That's the feeling. Or, and for everybody, it's something different. It's not necessarily something so vast. And that's, I think it's important also to make promises that are realistic. So like our whole promise with 90 Days of Freedom is how to make an extra five to $10,000 a month working you know, five to 10 hours a week. That's much more believable than all these guys saying, oh man, you're gonna have $100,000 days. You're gonna do six figures a month. They might do six figures a month, but most people can't even imagine $100,000 yeah. in a month. They can barely imagine 5,000. It's so funny that you mentioned this because we shoot part of our franchise, you know, case studies and you know, high quality marketing testimony videos. And a lot of the transformations we have, we push out our incredible 100 pound weight loss, et cetera. But the one that's going out tomorrow is actually a three month case study of someone who's just joined the Fit Body Bootcamp gym and they lost 16 pounds. And the whole goal behind that, it's not like, holy smokes, it's not like $100,000 right. in a month, it's, but it's attainable. It's, it's for Mrs. or Mrs. Jones who are like, right. shoot, I need to lose 30 pounds, but if this person can do it in th you know, like three months and drop 16 pounds, well then I can do right. it as well. Yeah, I don't need to lose 100 pounds. It's yep. not easy to identify. It's like for an obese person, they want to see a testimonial from another obese person. From a person who needs to lose 10 pounds, that doesn't really mm -hmm. make sense to them because that's not where they're at. Mm -hmm. So it's like anytime using testimonials or stories, try and find stories that relate to that person. Or if it's a sales page or a VSL, I'll use like three different testimonials, one from each sort of age group or type of person. So you don't want to give three testimonials of 26-year-old dudes who each had this result. It's like, oh, this is what happened to this 22-year-old kid. 
Here's what happened to this 44-year-old mother of three who's pregnant and she was making money while she was doing all this. And then here's John who's, you know, 59 or, you know, we've got 68 years old who barely knew how to use a computer who's now making money, right? So you give them this wide range of experiences mm -hmm. and they may not identify with all three, well, three but they're going to pick one, one that makes sense to them. Yeah. Um, but the feeling stuff is really, I think, from a copy perspective, there's it, your big idea is the most important part of your copy. So the word, so big idea would be sort of what's the, what is the hook of that sales letter? What is the thing that's like for the water filters, our big thing was fluoride. I, we had one of the only filters that removed fluoride and fluoride's horrible for you. And it's in all the water. It's literally added into the water um, for people to consume. The dentist who made uh, basically fluoride popularized in dentistry went on to write scientific papers about how bad it is for people that really? was what could, yeah it's it's bad for you um and so fluoride was our big idea that was our big hook that worked really well for like that. your core story your core philosophy of all the copy that yeah, you write around, is around removing fluoride. fluoride and your offer can be the great if you have a really good offer because then we did a free plus shipping on a 70 dollars pitcher and we did crazy amounts of money on that um, so you can lead with your offer if that's the best part, but the big idea would be there was a famous sales that it's a um, end of America, right? Uh, James Altucher, they did hundred million dollars for his crypto product, you know, a couple years ago. When there's a big boom going on or something like that, like there were big, uh, what was one of them was um, like cannabis cowboys type thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's all this money to be made in the cannabis industry now that it's being legalized that's your big idea and if you, you can have a great big idea with mediocre copy and make a bunch of money and you can have great copy really well written good ideas with a or you know decent like good structure great copy and have a, a lackluster big idea and it can do nothing so the writing itself isn't as important as the idea and the story and that's why i think storytelling is sort of the the shortcut and what i would say is tell the stories and that's one of the chapters in my book is literally tell the stories that scare you the most it's like that story I tell about Poseidon, about my dog, and I may tell it here tomorrow um, during the keynote, but like, I still get scared of telling that story. And I, like, I do stand-up and, you know, and I speak and I, and I don't get, I get nervous sometimes before stand-up, but it's more just, I get excited. Yeah. I get, if I'm gonna tell the Poseidon story, I get nervous sometimes just because people always ask, do you get nervous before you speak? I'm like, no, I don't. Because speaking compared to stand-up is like turning down the volume, right? It's like driving a car five miles an hour versus 150. Um, but so are you saying if you want to get better at presenting and speaking go do stand up, up. absolutely 100%. shortcut to go do stand up is pick the most embarrassing story of your life the story you thought you'd never tell anyone and you go tell that on stage that story about how you pooped your pants the story about how you got rejected by that girl the story about how you got mistaken for a girl when you were 13 years old and were asked to try on a, a girl's t-shirt because they thought you were one um, those are the stories that you go up and tell. That's stand up. That's yeah. But I've also we've you know talked before. You ran a training for our franchise as well. I believe you said also in copy, um, driving emotion, but also telling embarrassing stories really connect yeah. you. So in similar way. Well, yeah, yeah. So like if I go up and I tell that story about my dog and feed the wolf and how that all came to be, like people will be crying in in the audience. I may get teary eyed, and that emotion, like not a single person. I'll be at these conferences and there's people that are you know. People go up and speak, and have people have their camp, their computers out and their phones out. And I'm not saying it's because I'm some incredible speaker or something, but when I tell that story, there is not a single person who is on their phone 
there's not a single person who is on their computer every single person is listening to that story that's the power of, the power of a great story is also that people will change their entire relationship to you based on one story one story can turn somebody from an email subscriber who might have read none of your emails to somebody who reads every single thing you put out one story that you tell on stage will be people come up to me years later and be like that story was i, I was actually so my concussion doctor I was, I got in a fun snowboarding accident okay. um, last year. I was going to say, I thought we were or, playing no, this tennis. Year, in February. Okay. I, I do all sorts of stupid stuff. <laughs> okay. um, and uh, went headfirst into a tree. And uh, the, the girl who was the receptionist there, after I'd come in a few different times, she's like, hey, do you have a husky? I was like, yeah. She's like, I think I saw a video you did a few years ago. I mean, it was like probably three years ago, four years ago almost, maybe four. And it was uh, my story about Poseidon. I put it on Facebook and it got like 9 million views just organically. And it's oh, just, I mean, in the comments are like, you know, eight paragraphs of somebody talking about their dog with pictures and they're crying and all this stuff. And I was like, she's like, I remember that video. I'm like, she remembered that video from three years earlier. Ian, we were, we were talking about how you're going to roll with the keynote tomorrow. But I do after this, like, you know, anticipation of the story, is it fair to ask you to tell the Feed the Wolf Poseidon story tomorrow? I will tell it tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you, I will sir. tell it tomorrow, yes. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Not I, here, I'm sorry. I'm but, excited. Yeah, sorry, yeah. guys. But uh, intense. Yeah, it's an intense story. And it's so another sort of trick with all this is um, the more you feel, the more they will feel. So I wrote and I wrote the story first. So the first time I wrote that story, like I had a buddy who I mean, he texted me right after I'd posted. And he was like, he's like, screw you, man. He's like, I was sitting on a plane reading that story, just crying, sitting next to my girlfriend. She's like, what is going on? And he's like, and also men cry on planes. It's a very weird thing. I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know if you guys experience this. Men cry on planes. There's some- Main, our uh, awesome camera dude in the back's laughing. Yeah, he's so laughing, I would imagine yeah. He's, seen he's like, too. I've yeah. never cried before in my life. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I cried, Hardly. I cried watching Men in Black 3 <laughs> on a plane. That's not even a sad movie. I have a weird issue with that. Uh, black father-son movies. White father-son doesn't do anything for me. Okay. Black father-son movies, I get so teary-eyed. John Q, when Denzel Washington is yelling, I will not bury my son. My son will bury me. I'm just, I'm just crying. But I cried watching Men in Black 3 on a plane. I'm like, this is not a sad movie. Go watch. It's the worst of the Men in Blacks. Okay. It's, I didn't even know there was a three. Not even, I, nobody knew there yeah. was a Men in Black 3. Just me on the plane <laughs> that, that one time. <laughs> And it, it was just at the end, I'm just like, why am I? But there's a thing. Men cry on planes. There's some explanation of oxygen and stuff. I don't know what it is. Uh, not me, of course, but other men. Uh, but I, I was writing that story actually on a plane. And I was, you know, when I was writing that story the first time, there were a lot of raw emotions going on. And if you can write from a place of feeling, they're going to feel, and this is sort of a woo woo thing, but the energy that you put into the words gets transferred into that piece of paper or into those words and then that person can feel them on the other end. And an easier way to explain it is through like doing stuff on camera. The best advice I give people, like I, after I started doing stuff on camera, I would direct people and sort of help them with their copy as they're speaking and, and being on camera. And the biggest thing was just getting people to feel because the energy that you have gets transferred through that camera lens and into the person watching. So you can, re you can say the same exact words, same sales script, record it three different times with three different energies 
and one of them would outperform by double or 50% the other one, let's say 33 to 50% typically from another one because of the energy and because of your feeling. And you know this from all the split testing. You've yeah, done. just I mean, I've seen legitimate you know Crazy. stats on this stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. it's if you record something in the wrong mental place or with the wrong energy, they can feel that. The people watching can feel that. So your goal is to, you know, put the energy and the feeling into what it is that you're doing, because they're gonna. It's like if you I I bought something today, like a four thousand dollar thing on on nfts today you did uh yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty amped about it actually we have to talk i i don't know if it fits this episode it may not, but, but i'm uh, happy to yeah, go into it yeah, but yeah. this guy actually uh i'll just shout him out i guess his name's ben slater and i bought his book and um i liked his copy and i just it was like a free plus shipping book and i bought it and it was actually and i actually read most of it i was like systems for businesses stuff and um didn't, but I didn't read any of his emails after because he doesn't email very often, which is his biggest mistake. You should email pretty much every day. Daily. Um, and he doesn't email very often, but a couple weeks ago I got on it and said like, you know, $185,000 in a day. And I'm like, all right, I, I opened it and I'm, you know, reading, I was interested, but I was doing other, and this is the thing, somebody may just be doing other stuff, right? Or most people, they read your email and they, they finish pooping and then they, they close the phone. It's not that they didn't want to buy it, it's that they finished in the bathroom. Um, but I was playing FIFA. I was just playing video games yesterday, and it was like halftime in the match. And I opened an email and I looked at it, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch this thing. I never watch people's webinars. Watch like an hour and five minutes of it. Um, and I was, I mean, I've never. Ironically, I do webinars and stuff, but I haven't watched that long of one. And that's what you never know is that person may just happen to be in a in a time where they have free time, and I'm just sitting there playing video games and. You know, just click. I'm like, you know what? I'll watch this for a little while. I'll put it on while I'm playing, and suddenly I'm like super into it and deep into it. And then I end up, I messaged him, and funny enough, he was like, "Oh, dude, I've been watching your ads for years, because I have the parody characters. If you've seen those, no. can't, have you not seen those? No. All right, there's Can't Go Down, Lie Topaz, uh, Very Grinder, Chuck, Muscle Thunson. Oh goodness. Uh, all these different. I haven't uh, seen that, but I like where this is going. Yeah. So okay. I have all these parody characters. That's sort of how people found me originally online, and so. Um, he was like, oh, dude, I watch your ads. I love Can't Guard Down. That shit made me laugh. But the reason I'm bringing all this stuff up, <laughs> Can't Guard Down, baby, 10x, you know, um, was because his energy on the webinar, I could tell, and he did it live originally, but he was like, he was so passionate, and he believes. I'm like, I don't know how much I believe in NFTs and different. I do believe crypto is going to continue to rise just because the dollar is so unstable and 40% of the U.S money was printed in the last year. Yeah, 18 months. Yeah, I, the reason I say this, I just made my first uh, crypto investment yesterday, so that's oh, why it's like top of awesome. my Awesome, okay. Yeah, yeah. I did, I, I put some money into it. I actually been hesitant about like writing this one email out because I put like 40 grand into this one and it got up to, to like 250,000 and I'm like, shit. can I tell people that or am I gonna get my shit stolen? Um, so I'm like weird about it, but I'm, so now I've got this money and I'm gonna move it over and do some NFT stuff. Um, but the reason I say all this is because he was so passionate on it. And I could tell, I don't necessarily know that I believe in NFTs as a long-term thing. It's kind of insane to me. It's just like, people want to own a digital fucking picture. Like he's saying, I can still look at the picture. I don't own it. But you own it and now it's worth something. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't. But I do believe that it's going to be a crazy trend where we could make enough money over the next, you know, three months to a year that's like, you know, genuine, like millions of dollars walk away from stuff if you feel like it, like in cash. So I'm interested. But 
I don't know if I believe in NFTs, but I believe that he believes that he is right. One hundred percent. I could feel his energy. Say that one more time. I believe that he believes he's right. I teach this and to our phoners because if you have enough conviction, yeah. a lot of times, like the the buyer in this case, fitness client, maybe doesn't that maybe doesn't doubt your program doesn't work, just won't work for her. But if you believe that. Well, you said it best. If yeah. if you as a salesperson are have so much conviction yes. that the person on the other side of the, the table maybe not think this is actually gonna work, but they believe that you yeah. believe it's gonna work, so they take action. And that's right. the same thing you just heard here. Right. And it's I believe one hundred percent that he believes that it's going to go crazy and crush. Yeah. And because of that, I'm sending him four thousand dollars or whatever for the program. And, and I'm happy, to, I'm excited to. That's the thing is when you're excited to pay somebody to do it, like I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but the, it's that I don't sell stuff I don't believe in because I can't, I just don't feel good about it. I have a buddy who just approached me about a water filter thing and I was like, I saw the technology and I was like, I don't know if I believe in this technology. Then I actually went through and they've improved all their filtration. So I'm like, okay, yeah, now I can sell this. Okay. But I, I, if it wasn't, I wouldn't have cared if they offered me a bunch of money I'm not going to help them if I don't believe in the water filter. Sure. I'm not going to go tell people to drink fucking dirty water. Sure. No, it's not. If somebody asked me to, to go consult for Brita, I wouldn't touch it with a fucking 50-yard stick because that pitcher is a piece of shit and it's killing people and it's disgusting to me. Um, so I should throw my Brita away. You should throw your Brita away. Okay. It's not even a filter. All it does is reduce some uh, chlorine. Okay. It's a glorified cold water container. Okay. It's bullshit. Um, there you go. Buy and beware. That was actually that was our big idea for the filter. To go back to that big idea thing was our main subject line that worked for affiliates and everything was a Brita cannot filter this, because that was the thing that everybody already understood. Yep. And we would show demos. Um, but so back to this sort of this guy and, and buying to his stuff. It was that that belief and that passion sold me more so than because he didn't actually teach much about nfts necessarily it's hard to understand in general it's such yeah. a weird world yeah, i'm weird. not stupid but i'm like i don't know what this stuff is oh you got to mint a coin and all this i'm like what do you put it under a pillow it's a mint like what the fuck is this i don't know what you're talking about um but he but his passion just came through and he actually he told a story on the webinar about how his um two of his employees, their father passed away like three days before he was doing this unexpectedly and died and the mum was and the mum didn't know what she was going to do and, so, and he starts like tearing up on the call and he was talking about how in their community that he's built they're going to give 10% of their profits from that week or he was going to do it and then mm -hmm. other people in the group decided the same thing to that family, to the mother in that family and uh -huh. so he's like teary eyed on yeah, the call yeah. and and I could tell that he's a genuine person, you know, and so I was like, all right, like, that's really what sold me was his passion, not the system, right? Because he didn't give that much of the system of how to actually trade NFTs and stuff. And but the, and the big, but the big course, idea, yeah. yeah. And, and the big idea, though, too, is that there's basically this wild west of this crypto world that the, there's, what, 60 million people own crypto, which is crazy to think it's only 60 million people who actually own crypto. And there's only 200,000 people who own NFT. Well, there are 200,000 a month ago. There's like 600,000 now. So it's still in the, you're Infancy. still in the 1% of whatever it'll be yeah. later on. And so there's always massive gains to be had in a volatile, crazy yep. 
market like that. So that's a big idea too, is you're just leaning into, like the reason why the Bitcoin offers did so well and like why James Altucher's stuff did so well is there's just, when something gets so popular that your parents and you know, when people in their 70s know about Bitcoin and they're talking about it at dinner tables, there's so much greed in the air mm -hmm. that people don't want, there's so much FOMO, there's so much fear of missing mm -hmm. out. There's, the fear is what it is, is the fear is that you're gonna wake up in five years and not have done the thing that somebody else did and they're gonna be really rich. The funny thing is I told all my friends, and, and the other part about this guy's presentation is, you know, he wants other people to do well and I told him, I'm like, look, if I talked to him today, and I'd never met him before, but I was like, if this works really well for me, I'll promote this to my list and my audience. And if, if I can crush it over the next few weeks, I'm gonna sell the shit out of this because I'm gonna believe in it. If I, if I do fine, I'd be like, hey, this is kind of risky, mm -hmm. maybe don't. But if I believe and I get on there, I'll, and the reason I wanna sell it isn't to make the money from the commissions. I love, I had a friend who said this, he's like, it feels great to win and to level up, but it feels way better to win with your friends. And it's like, I told quite a few of my friends to get in on the coin that I did, and everybody who did is 10x their money. And my business partner ironically didn't, and he was gonna put in more than anybody else. And I was like, he'd literally just have a million dollars sitting there right now in cash, you know, in, in liquid cash, or well, in the coin, but like, he didn't, you know? And so, it's like, I like to, that passion comes through. If you, like, bring it back to fitness, right? The worst thing to me, and this can be politically incorrect, and I don't really Fire care if this one is, what I call fatness instructors, right? The overweight guy who's the personal trainer, or the fat person who's selling the, um, the supplements or stuff. I remember I saw him with this guy who's probably 300 pounds, not in sh like very overweight, selling a greens powder. And I'm like, what? It, it doesn't make sense. And I'm not saying I'm not shaming fat shaming or doing any of that, I'm just saying that that it's very much like if I'm sitting here teaching you how to make money and I'm broke, right? Or I'm sitting here like, here's how to write copy and I've sold $50 worth of products. It doesn't make sense. If you don't believe in what you're selling, then you shouldn't be selling it. Mm -hmm. That belief and that conviction is one of the most important parts. It makes everything easy. Because if you believe in it completely, then people are gonna buy it. Like that's what, bring back to that guy, it's like I know that he believes that he is going to be doing me a huge service by me buying his product and that makes me want to buy it. Love it. All right, so we talked about emotion, we talked about um, leading with strong headlines, storytelling, getting people to feel what you're going through. Um, one of the last things I want to hit in terms of just you know some good goal that you can pass along, um, one of the things that we talked about uh, one of the last times we chatted was writing shorter copy and removing commas. So can you kind of oh, elaborate yeah. a little bit that, just on the theme of you know different aspects of writing good copy? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest issues, so did I say that one before or now? Stop stopping with no. your writing? That was before we started this. I think that was, yeah. I don't remember, okay. But if not, <laughs> we talked for a few minutes yeah. before and yeah. I can't remember anymore. Um, so the best thing you can do in your writing is to stop stopping. Don't allow yourself to stop typing. Oh, Continue. you did say that. I yeah. did, I said that yeah. here. Good, reinforcing the lesson. That's another persuasion trick, to be honest, is reinforcing things. So people thought Trump, some people thought Trump was an idiot when he would say things again and again, but he would say those on purpose. Whatever you think about Trump, if you want to learn about persuasion, that's a person to go watch. And everything was planned. I remember seeing like some comedian going like, oh, he had toilet paper on his shoe, what an idiot. I'm like, you think that was an accident? You think that toilet paper on his shoe was an accident? You think he walked 
all that way and gotten the limo and had toilet paper. No, that was planted. Everybody was talking about him. I, I don't even watch the news, and I knew that that happened. So if you look at him, he repeats things over and over because if you say things three, four times, people remember it and they understand it and it becomes ingrained in your mind. Um, when it comes to writing, you know, you want to stop stopping. The other thing is use periods, not commas. Rarely use commas. If somebody could go through all the books that have been written in the past and turn a bunch of the, the commas into periods, those books would be better because a, a comma signal signals to pause. And it creates run-on sentences, it creates boring sentences. Don't always, I'm not saying never use commas, but for the most part, don't use them very often, especially in email copy, because email copy is very fast. So if you're putting commas in it, what's happening is people are having to stop every time there's a comma. Mm -hmm. They're pausing in their mind, they're pausing in their mind. And then the best advice I could ever give to improve your writing, first off, hand copy, great. E if there's something that compels you to buy something or something that you like, if you read a great email, hand copy it. If you read a great sales letter, hand copy it. It will make you better than anything else. And the other thing is, there's something called HemingwayApp.com. It's free. I've used it for 10 years, and it's people will like buy the desktop version. Go ahead. They do. Uh, people should support them. They're the best product ever. But I've never even paid for it. You just go to the web app, Hemingway.com, or HemingwayApp.com, and put in your writing, and it shows you if you're using the passive voice, uh, active, you know, adverbs, stuff like that. But it gives you a grade level, and all the best copy is written at the third grade level. So people think, I literally say this selling our program, if you can write at a third grade level, you already have the skills to make money online. And that's the truth. Most people write at too high a level. Too they high write it. I had a guy take a piece of copy from 11th grade. I said, I want to, this when I used to do coaching. And I was like, I'm not going to answer, I'm not going to look at your copy until it's at at least the sixth grade level because it's a waste because all I'm going to do is critique the writing. I'm not even going to get into the ideas. He changed it from 11th grade to 6th grade. I didn't even get to look at it yet. They got a 66% lift just from just making it easier to Yeah, because it's third grade level doesn't mean it's hard or it's stupid. It means that it's concise and clear and easy to understand. If you look at music, the most popular music is all that is actually at a third grade level. Eminem, probably the best lyrical, oh, yeah. right? third Jeez. grade level. Nickelback, fifth grade level. Most hated band there is. They write at a fifth grade level. Kesha is at like second grade. Beyonce is like first grade. Um, but uh, you want to write at a third grade level because it's persuasive, it's easy to understand. So go to HemingwayApp.com, put all of your writing into that for like two months until you get things all down to a third grade level, then just check in every once in a while. Uh, and avoid the passive voice. The passive voice is typically something that ends in ING. So like, um, you know, we were being crazy yesterday. Right? We were crazy yesterday. There's a difference in that active versus mm. passive, right? The fox was jumping over the hole. The fox jumped, jumped over, over the, the hole. So if you're using a lot of ING language, that's typically a sign that it's passive, and passive is boring. Passive is passive. It's not interesting. You want active, punchy writing. Occasionally have one-word sentences and fragments and break the rules of writing, but it should be active voice. Use passive as little as possible. Uh, which typically is ing is a way to do that. Dude, I have never heard of that. But I, the last few conversations, yeah. every single time now I write a piece of copy, I'm like, shit, no commas, periods, short choppy. Yeah. Like you're in my head, man. Which I, I love. like it. I'm which glad. I love. The ing thing's big because I have a, one of our employees now. I've been trying. He's writing not as me for the main email list, but some of our like bias sequences, and he still writes passive voice. And he's like, all right, well, how do I stop? And I was like, 
look for ING, and that like changed things for him. He's like, that's what it is. And or like he was doing this, like it's he jumped, not he was jumping. He was, well, he was doing this is right. also passive. Yeah, doing exactly. Yeah, he yeah. was so typically ING, not always. Yeah, he did this, and it's like you can feel that. Like John didn't know he was going to die last night. Like there's this this active punch to that type of copy. So there's another part. Freaking yeah. mind blown, just gold over here. <laughs> All right, Ian, well, I'm jacked up for tomorrow, just as a too. good segue. Um, and I know you guys gotten a ton of value. I certainly had, and I've been loosely in the copywriting game for a while, but it's by, by far my weakest out of the high impact skills of presenting, negotiating, you know, salesmanship in person. You, hand copying, that's it. All right, my friend. That's the secret. All right, well, dude, you've been so generous with your time. I still have a few questions left yeah, in the lightning, lightning round. round. Let's just go. I hope there's some weird so. questions. <laughs> we'll he see. told me about this before. He's like, there's going to be a lightning round. Is there anything I can't ask him? I don't care. Just, You're easy, man. This is like one of the jovialest, relaxed, easiest interviews I've done. So I credit you for that. I'm well, being thank completely you. serious. Um, advice. You're in the business of giving great advice to your students on copy. What would be one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received and why? Uh, around copy? No, in general. Or it could be copy, but it just in I'd say in general, this is the thing that I tend to repeat the most for other people, and it was the most impactful thing for me, is don't do a bunch of different shit. Just do one thing and get really good at that thing and then start doing other stuff. Like, I had a mentor last year around June. He was like, stop doing everything else for six months. That's not this one thing. And that's when we created the 90 Days to Freedom program. That's now the flagship program of our company. And the way he described it was, is you're trying to start a fire with a magnifying glass, and the second you start to get it to some smoke, you move the magnifying glass somewhere else. You're trying to push two boulders up a hill, the second one gets some momentum, you move. So I think most people are just too distracted. Yeah. If you can, don't touch your phone for the first hour or two of your day. The days I do that, it's a completely different thing. It changes your dopamine in your brain. It changes the way that you react to the world. Um, if you can slow down and do one thing really well and stop being distracted, that's the single most important thing I think almost anybody could do. Well, man, if you could hit on that tomorrow as well, because we're reading for the mastermind group that we're he uh, here in Texas for, reading a book called Essentialism, which actually yeah. I think is authored by an English I read guy. That. Yeah. And that's Greg McCown. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, next up, uh, Leaders Are Readers, what would be a pivotal book that you've read or a piece of content in general that helped you on your path that could help our audience? Uh, the Surrender Experiment is always gonna be my first recommendation. The Surrender it's, Experiment. Yeah, by Michael, uh, by Michael Singer. I've read it, I think now, 16 times in the past three years. Okay. It's literally the foundation for my entire life. It's, yeah, everything is happening, it's, you know, reality is happening it's you either in every moment you have two options you either resist or surrender you yep. either accept reality and deal with it or you resist and you're unhappy and to me that book is the most impactful book in the world um, he also wrote the untethered soul which some people like that more that's that. more yeah, yeah. of a how-to i would say um, and then if i had to make one other recommendation it would be The Big Leap, which is all about self-sabotage yep. and essentially the upper limit problem. Yep. I think the main, one of our biggest purposes of being human is to learn how to increase our tolerance for good feelings. So we basically have a threshold for how good we think we're allowed to feel. And as we start to rise up to that threshold, we find ways to fuck shit up. And you're gonna have to bleep that part, sorry, but uh, it's worth saying because that's what people do, is they self-sabotage because, and what will happen is, you know, their business starts to do really well and they'll start to eat shitty foods. They're, they'll start mm -hmm. to get in great shape and they'll fight with their wife. Mm -hmm. They'll start to have their relationship goes well and they mess up their business. 
And those are the three core areas of your life, right? Your relationship, your health, and your, and your money. And so most people can't tolerate having good feelings all around, and so they find ways to continuously bring themselves down. The Big Leap makes you aware of, it, it doesn't necessarily give an exact solution, but it makes you aware of your self-sabotage patterns and why you're doing it. And I'd say in the business world, so many people mess up as they get really close to getting what they want. They find a way to screw it up. Dude, I have a family member in the exact same situation, so that is for sure, for 100%. Yeah, I used to tell people, read the big, you've got a list of books, and everybody's going to tell you books, and you're going to put this at the bottom, put it at the top. The Surrender Experiment to me is, you know, it's my favorite, but The Big Leap is very, very useful for just about every human. Well, The Surrender Experience, I haven't read it, but I'm going to make a note here. I'm a recovering alcoholic, so to me, like acceptance and surrendering, I mean, that's like step number one, so that's speaking yep. my language. Yep. All right, my friend, two questions left. Um, habits, they're foundational for success in business, entrepreneurship, and life in general. Uh, what was a habit that you've acquired over the years that's, that exponentially helped you? <sighs> The best habit in the world, and I haven't been as good about this lately, is not touching your phone for a while in the morning. My goal is to get till like noon without touching it. Noon. It changes. That's my, my goal is no phone till noon. I've just had this weird thing just like going in my mind saying that. But for just about anybody, even if I just do an hour, uh, it changes everything. Because literally your, your brain, if, you're, if you start out your day with touching your phone, then what happens is, is you get way more dopamine in those first five minutes of a day. Think about how many, how much dopamine you used to get released, and dopamine being the feel-good chemical in your brain that's the reward center that makes you keep doing stuff. When you're scrolling Instagram, you may get dopamine hits 20 times in a five-minute period. Mm -hmm. If you think back 100 years, you may have had a dopamine release in your brain Ooh. 20 times in a day if you had a good life. So you're, what you're doing is you're rewiring your brain first thing in the morning to expect constant immediate rewards. The number one indicator of success, scientifically proven to be the number one indicator of success is delayed gratification. It's the marshmallow test. They give a kid a marshmallow, they say, if you wait 15 minutes, we'll give you two. Most kids are like, I'm gonna eat this one. Oh. I never understood that, because when I was a kid, if I got something, I'm like, well, you tell me I'll get more if I wait? I'd I'll wait. wait. I'd wait too. Fucking sit right here yeah. and do it. And I have crazy ADD I'll take two. and I'll still, yeah, I'm gonna take two marshmallows. I don't even like marshmallows, but if I it was, them, you know. Yeah. But the, um, that is the number one indicator of success, is delayed gratification. So if you're creating a feedback loop in your brain where you're constantly signaling that it needs dopamine, that's gonna be the, your reality. So I'm not saying, I, I'll be transparent, I haven't been good about it lately, but when I do that well, that changes everything. And then the other habit would be have fun. Everybody fucking forgets how to have fun. People Myself get rich and they that. forget how to have fun. And I'm like, you gotta have a good time. What is the point of all of this stuff if you're not having fun? So create, schedule your fun into your life because if you don't schedule, everybody schedules their business and then their life falls into the cracks outside of it. Schedule your life and then let the business fall into the cracks in between that. Like, make sure you're doing fun stuff. It's literally, what is the point? If you, if you talk to your 10 year old self and told them what you do, would they be depressed or would they be stoked? If I told my 10-year-old self what I did, I think for the most part, he'd be like, damn, that's pretty cool. Good job, Ian. Yeah, you get to go do, I don't mean that in an arrogant way, like you get to go do fun stuff, that's great. Like I'm not like I sit in front of a computer for eight hours and I'm miserable. He'd be like, that's stupid, why are you so stupid, old me? And I'd be like, I don't know, man. This is a really depressing conversation. You're talking to coffee right now, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right, my friend, last question for you. This has been awesome, man. I've learned a lot. I know you guys have got a ton of value as well. Uh, what's your last piece of parting wisdom for our audience who, again, interested in fitness, business, entrepreneurship, bettering their lot in life? 
Hmm. Man. But you already went through my, my book recommendations. Yeah, I was going to say. Habits. Um, what is my best recommendation? My recommendation is to build the life that you want, not the one that other people want or the one that you think other people want you to have. It's very easy to get caught up in the idea of having more for the sake of more or building the life that you think other people would think is cool. I lived a lot of my life with this imaginary uh, piece of paper that was like all my accomplishments, thinking that there was this resume that people go, oh man, that Ian guy is so cool, he did all this stuff. And it's like, if it's not for you, it doesn't matter. So. If you're going to build a business, if you're going to work a job, do something you enjoy. If you hate what you do eight hours a day, you're going to hate. It doesn't matter how much surrender you do or how much you let go. Like, if you hate eight hours a day, if you're hating your life. You hate your life. Yeah. And do some better shit. Do some better shit. That is your <laughs> Put piece that of on a t shirt. All right, my friend, uh, before we wrap, uh, what is the best way our audience can connect with you? Um, you can follow my Instagram at Becoming Ian Stanley. That's more comedy stuff now. I've leaned in on that side. The Instagram almost passive income is where we do the business stuff. You can go to feedthewolf.com if you want to get on my email list and see what I write and how I make money. And then uh, I did write a book called Confessions of a Persuasion Hitman, and that's just at persuasionhitman.com. It's free. You pay the shipping. It's like $5.89. So that's probably it. And YouTube. I'm on YouTube, Ian Stanley, just the same as my name. I post stuff on there too. Love it, man. Um, before we wrap, uh, I want to acknowledge you. This has been awesome. Uh, I was expecting to learn fun. copy, which I have, but man, holy smokes. When you talked about the, your keynote tomorrow being like, yeah, I just kind of roll with it. Um, I've been in your ethers for a while and I've had a lot of recommendations. Craig Ballantyne told me you are the best uh, presenter oh, keynote that he's that. ever seen. So obviously that was a big boat of confidence. Having this uh, conversation here, there's no doubt in my mind tomorrow we're just going to crush it. It's going to be fun, man. Four hours. But it's, it's been a pleasure, time. my friend. So yeah, thank, thank you, you very much show, for having me, man. I appreciate, I appreciate it. Awesome. All right, friends, I know you got a ton of value today, and assuming you did, go ahead and give us a like and subscribe on YouTube and write us an awesome review on iTunes. That way we can keep producing this content for you for free. And uh, that's all for today. Ian, thanks again, my friend, and Thank you. Uh, see you in the next episode.